Welcome back. Thanks for rejoining us on Inside Out with Turner and Seth. I'm Turner. And I'm Seth. Thank you all so much for listening to episode one, and uh, especially to our friends in Indonesia. We have listeners in Indonesia. Rachel Story. And Hello. also, it looks like here, stats say also Australia, so I'm guessing it's Clancy or someone else out there we might know. Nowadays, Clancy can't even sing. Or Kenny. I don't know. I don't Thanks know. for listening, Clancy. It's probably Clancy, don't you think? Uh, I don't know. You never know. So, uh, but to those in Indonesia, Tenrakasi, uh, lots of news this week. Uh, for one, uh, first of all, I want to tell everybody, uh, those of you getting married, I am now, uh, as of today, an ordained minister, uh, Universal Life Church. Universal Life Church. I am a minister, an ordained minister. I'm actually doing a wedding. Uh, a good friend of ours, Jonathan Sweetwood, John Sweetwood. Uh, uh, Any relation to Tim? Nope, nope. Although in the music industry, he does lots of graphic work that you've seen. All the Cloud Nine, he does all the Cloud Nine, the big blues bender, uh, Aura Festival. Where will this wedding be? In the uh, Ozark Mountains, and I'll be conducting this uh, the ceremony. You say how many people? Well, I don't know. That's a private question, man. That's, I don't know. He wants his wedding information aired here, but uh, do you need me there to co-host the uh, the, the vows? Or we're anything? not doing a podcast at the wedding. I can Although, do a reviewing the reviewer segment. You know, in the middle of the. Reviewing the the ministry. I could review the vows right yeah. after. Review the vows. <laughs> that's good. Um, but yeah, so just uh, that that's new. Um, also, uh, but we had a big week last week, Rob, didn't we? Oh, absolutely. I know. I, I know. In my little nerd world, I did. Well, yeah, you definitely. I'm sure so you got a pencils and they got sharpened and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but you definitely, um, you know. Uh, we what, what did we do last week? We had two, two, three interviews. Three interviews in the can. Oh, our oh, you mean the show? Yes, yeah, the show, the show. Yes, we got the Colonel, which you're going to hear a little bit of in this episode. We'll do two parts on that. We're going to break that uh, that interview down into one part here and another part next episode. Colonel Bruce Hampton, he's in the new movie. Here comes Rusty. It's important to remind you, as we say in the interview, there is a premiere right here in Atlanta, Georgia, on April 3rd at the Buckhead Theater. They're going to be showing the movie. And they're going to be performing. And did you say a question and answer session too? I'm sure there'll be something. Somebody will speak to the audience. Well, as actually, well. if you know anything about Colonel Bruce, he is a little bit of a psychic, and um, and I, I believe knew you were that, say that I believe that he actually, <laughs> I believe he actually knows everyone's questions. So he's just going to answer. It's just going to be an answer session. So yeah, an A, not even Q and A. He already has the a. Q. Uh, and Come then, for a little uh, A. And then uh, we also speaking of A, A buddy, we have Chad Denny, the A buddy. We had Chad Denny in this studio. Actually, we not in the studio. We went to Terrapin Beer Brewery. Terrapin Brewery last the week. Terrapin we did two Beer interviews. Company. They very kindly lent us their conference room. That was very cool and let us set up shop. And it took us a while to get things rolling. And um, we sat down with Chad Denny. We sat down from uh, Nimble Slick. Yep, Nimble Slick. He's a longtime uh, booking agent and a savvy veteran of the music industry on a grassroots level and on a booking level. And he just has his own interesting insight. It's a, I, I enjoyed the interview. I hope it. I oh hope, yeah, uh, it was a, it was a great interview. Lots of good stories and lots of uh, interesting things for for those in the business as well as for those interested in the business. So uh, you know, inside out, right there. A lot of band strategery going on in that interview. We talk about band strategery. Yeah, and uh, and then to you know settle everything down with a nice beverage there at Terrapin, we had Spike a Dike a Burke a Dirk a Spike. Brewmaster and owner of Terrapin Beer, one of the owners. Yes, it was very nice to talk to him, my co-baderker. 
And he, uh, he had a lot of interesting things to talk about in terms of beer and the similarities of the music world and, and the beverage beer world, independent breweries, that is. He talked about marketing to the beer, to the, uh, excuse me, to the music world. He talked about his, uh, his own little forays into the music world. And he talked about some of their exciting upcoming events and brews. Mm-hmm. And he really talked a lot about the collaborative stuff. That was one of the um, music business uh, parallels that I really enjoyed. Uh, he, you know, he collaborates on some of these brews with brewers from all over the world. So I found that very interesting. Oh, yeah. Yes, that was very, very interesting. Uh, We're looking forward to getting all those and more to you all. Um, But lots in the news, you know, news in the festival world. uh, And let's start even with the music world. Rob, the nerd of music here in Atlanta, if you've been to a show, his belly's definitely pushed you out of the way to get to the front row. Mr. Rob Turner, tell us about them epic shows you've recently attended. Or I've shushed you, maybe if you are a little chatty during the quiet parts. Uh, Actually, you know, I like... I like the webcast too these days as I as I age. I still go to a lot of shows, but I, I do like the webcast, especially the surprise ones. And I had two of them. Okay, we get it, Seth. Okay, Let's not I'll beat it. I beat it in the ground. First two shushes were funny, and then it, you know, down a cliff. Um, so I'm just like the EDM scene, you say? Oh, I'm kidding. Speaking of EDM, Rob, wait, I'm not the, done with my thing. I know, thing, I know. I just I thought you were done. Don't. I mean, you can interrupt me, but not with EDM. <laughs> <laughs> Although we're going to have EDM people on, I'm going to learn about EDM, and, and we have an, another guest um, from whom I've been learning a lot about EDM, and we'll get to that. But anyways, I love the surprise webcast, and I had two of them in a row. This was great. One was, as I'm, as I'm settling down to watch the late night shows, I think I was watching Kimmel's monologue and then Colbert's death piece. Be Kimmel's Bits? Is that a Kimmel's and Bits joke? Yeah, that definitely was. Yeah. Those are, do not adjust your stereo. Those are crickets you are hearing. Yes, we're, we're at my house, so you can hear the crickets. Anyways, um, this, the KPFA, one of, my, one of my internet buddies, let me know that Steve Kimmock was live on KPFA. But it was, it was very enjoyable to hear him perform with the band, uh, Bobby Vega on bass, his son playing drums, John Morgan Kimmock. Oh, yeah, also he plays with the uh, Mike, Mike Gordon band. Yeah, Mike Gordon band. And Leslie Mendelson, a wonderful singer-songwriter that any of us who watch the We're Here's or any of the TRI Studios stuff uh, probably got familiar with her and it was kind of funny For, first of all they had a little on-air spat i don't know if they're lovers but they had a, a, a marriage-esque spat on the air over the creation of one of the songs i thought that was kind of funny was it one of the no you do it no no you do no, it, it. Was like, no, no, she, you she told do the whole it. story about how a song evolved and then they were about to wrap it up and go into the next song and he was like no that's not you know that's not really the way it went uh and then no. they had it out and then steve's then at some point, Steve says, well, I'm not really sure. And then she starts with the, well, then why did you challenge me? And then that, at that point, it sounded like a married couple. But the playing was beautiful. And it also reminded me of the limitations of terrestrial radio. Because even KPFA, which is an iconic radio station, uh, independent radio station, that people donate literally all over the world to the, to the station. But they have these hard breaks at the top of the hour that they have to adhere to. I don't know if they're imposed by them or by law. Um, so at some point... They had pretty much run out of time. Steve Kimmock had to do a quick little song. And then as they were going to the end of the hour, Kimmock pretended to start to tell a story to mess with the, with the host. It was pretty funny. But it, it reminded me how lucky we are to be in the podcast land. We don't have those time restrictions. But even so, I'm going to wrap up the story right now. Uh, well. So then the next night, <laughs> Humphreys McGee's in Boise, Idaho. Oh, of course, Humphreys. What would, what would a review have to do 
with well, Rob Turner if he didn't mention his boys. Well, they Umfries have their normal planned webcast, but something Umphrey's also does is if they're not sure if it's going to work out in a venue, they'll do a, a still shot from the sound and light board mm-hmm. and just shoot it out there for free. They do it periodically, and they did it from Boise. And not only that, but it was not a, a set list free show. It was set a song list. list. I don't even think they had a song list. They worked off a set list, which, as you know, I love Umphrey's McGee. But one of my knocks on them is that the, the uh, improv can be a little rigid, a little kept too close to the vest. You know what I mean? But when they worked without the set list, it seemed like the improv was a little more aboundless, particularly when they went from... Uh, they did Turn and Run in the middle of one of their other songs in the first set. I don't think people can see. Oh, you reached... No, I, I, the computer died. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to do it, you know, without anyone noticing. <laughs> Well, <laughs> but I, I work with Seth Weiner, so. so uh, I'm nervous. Like, um, something happened. Something moved. What is that? Oh what, my what, god! What? What? What, are you, what is that motion you're making? Are you trying to say something with to me with your hands? Uh, th- that's a good point. It reminds me if we ever bring any of the Umphreys guys into the uh, podcast, I want to ask them about that because I'm really curious about how that set list without a set list works. Uh, who's controlling it? Is it maybe you know? One of the guys that night, uh, Pony's going to be the one that's going to lead it, or you know, maybe it's uh, Joel's going to lead and figure, and everyone's going to follow him for the song score. Maybe they like, work together and have this com- nonverbal communication. It'd be interesting to hear uh, about that. Because generally with improv, they have a, a set leader at certain points, but that's usually, I think, based off their set list. So it would be interesting to know if, if they're, when they're on the fly, does someone just kind of step up and take over on the fly? I don't know. That's a be interesting thing to explore. We got to have those guys on the show sometime soon. Yeah, why not? Maybe we'll even have a show. Maybe we'll have a nice light show one day and uh, and, and bring in a waffle. So I stumbled upon a great show on uh, the night after that Humphrey's webcast at the Red Light Cafe. A band called the Nola Tet, which I would I knew it was their first tour, but would later learn that night was their first show of their first tour. Yeah, this is Mike Dillon mm-hmm. on percussion. Mike Dillon's played with everyone from Les Claypool to just about everyone in the scene. He's a wonderful, masterful and uh, percussionist and a tremendous improviser. Uh, he had Brian Haas from Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey, the band that brought us Reed Mathis. I'm a huge Reed Mathis fan. Um, but I love Jack, Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey and all their different incarnations. And Brian Haas is an extremely gifted and insightful piano player. And then they had one of the best rhythm sections of New Orleans. Pretty much who the band is named after, the No La Tête, the, name, uh, the rhythm section of Johnny Vidakovich on drums. And James Singleton on bass. I oh. hate to have missed that show, but I've heard nothing but amazing things about it. It was amazing that that a band, a group of musicians that hadn't really played that much in public together, could improvise so seamlessly, so artfully, like water flowing out of a mm-hmm. sink. It was uh, it was pretty captivating. And I got that album signed. And when you'll hear at the end of the Colonel Bruce interview next episode, we give him some gifts, and we got one of those albums signed over to him, and he, he seemed to enjoy that. He seemed to be on the overside of the whelm. Scale. Well, you know, a band like that sounds like something you'd walk off Jam Cruise and be like, "Man, I went to the Jam Room, and and you never get." Uh, you know, he was with him, and they were together, and then this other guy, and uh, da, 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 they were amazing. And then it's like the, that's the band, you know. <laughs> but I had a, 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 I think I annoyed Johnny Vodakovich. Uh I mean, did you go near him? Well, I, I got the thing signed, and he was all cheery at that point because it was being signed. One of them was being signed to Colonel Bruce. Did you look at him? And he had a Saints shirt on, so oh, no. I, I kind of had a, had a camaraderie with him because I, my, my Patriots have been screwed by the NFL recently. He seemed to like that. But then later, as we were getting closer to set time, I went down and sat at my back at my table and realized I had forgotten my beer. Oh, boy. And my beer was so you back. You took o- his beer off his my stage? My beer was back over by oh, merch. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and so I went over there, and he was over there looking at the merch. He looked more, so bored. 
He looked like he was just bored beyond life. Well, so I figured rather than go back to my table. To avoid you. I, no, I don't know. Maybe so. This is why I don't talk to musicians unless it's a, 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 unless a it's someone I really pencil. know well or unless I have an assignment to talk to them, a, a purpose. Because I'm, I'm just terribly awkward at times with them. And this would be one of them. I figured this guy's bored. I'll help him kill the time. I go start talking to him about this show I'd seen him do with Charlie Hunter and Luther Dickinson. Hey, do you remember the and, time you played with Charlie Hunter? It was or like Chris Farley. Hey, hey, man, you, do, do, do you remember that? Remember that show, man, when you were on the other side of the river and you were playing with Luther Dickinson and Charlie Hunter? Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, oh, ah. my set's about to start. I have to go uh, warm up my drumsticks. Basically, he gave me the the smile, head lift smile, and you know, turn away. <laughs> nod, nod, nod. It was such nod. a. Nod, 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 nod. Hey, 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 get the fuck away from me. What? But it was so, it was such a diss that it was funny. And it's like, it's Johnny Vodakovich. I don't care. The guy's a legend. He's a wonderful player. He totally entertained me that night. He can act to me any way he wants. Yeah. Show was amazing. Their yeah, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're paying attention, uh, go online, look for the Nola Tet and check him out in a town near you. Uh, from the reviews I've heard outside of, in addition to inside and outside of what Robert Turner said, uh, I've heard I've heard great things about this band, so definitely check them out if you like that experimental uh, jazz groove. Uh, I think that these guys have it for you. You heard it here first, Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And in festival news, some cancellations uh, announced this last couple weeks, uh, such as Tomorrow World, which takes place uh, took place, I should say, in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as Counterpoint, uh, which took place in Atlanta, Georgia. Two very different festivals, Rob. Uh, Tomorrow World, as you know, is an Atlanta festival, the SFX. But they're also, uh, it comes to us from Belgium, from Tomorrowland, which is uh, the world's leading EDM festival. Uh, and then Counterpoint. Counterpoint is kind of a combination of EDM and uh, more rock acts, more acts like, like up our alley, like oh, Widesert Panic yeah, and Widesert McGee. Um, they had a lot of mixed, mixed stuff, too, in the sure. in-between. So they woo the... Uh, Well-rounded festival. Yes, they woo a wider... They, they, they cast the net a little bit wider. But I think a lot of the EDM kids like the strictly EDM ones, don't they? They don't want to hear guitars. Well, you know, there's, that goes back to the whole uh, Camp Bisco front row fiasco last year where you had all of the Bass Nectar kids uh, rushing to the front in the afternoon, hanging in the rail in the front rows, and literally turning their backs to the performers performing on stage because they were there to catch the rail and wait there all day to see... Base nectar. So you know you you have you have a mixed fan base. Um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Um, there's it's you know counterpoint. Uh, there's it's questionable the time of the year. You know it took place on Memorial Day weekend. Um, there's a lot of different things that are going on. So there's a lot. Uh, the you know did you see widespread panic? Are you going to see them at several different events? Uh, if you live in Atlanta, are you going to go out there for the mix? Or are you going to wait and go out to Bonnaroo a couple weeks later? You know it's just all these different factors that play in. So, you know, it's questionable if it was, if it was an EDM festival, like uh, what's coming up here in Atlanta. Uh, what's that? Uh, Shaky Beats. Shaky Beats. Is Shaky Beats doing well? I don't know. Um, but it's questionable, you know, is, it, is that is the EDM crowd? That will answer that question because that's right here in the heart of Atlanta, um, an EDM festival with, you know, Major Laser and all sorts of huge EDM acts. Um, so it'll be interesting. So lo- lots of different things there. And then, of course, there's Degafest, which has been canceled, which is taken. It's a country festival with huge headliners. Uh, that was supposed to take place in Talladega. At the track, the famous track? Oh, yeah, track. man, at the track. They all can come out there in them RVs. That is pretty cool. That's sort of like the Fenway Park of NASCAR, I'm told. But uh, July 4th weekend where everyone's got uh, family vacations. I mean, it's also a tough weekend. So not always does a lineup make a festival. 
but the timing is. Well, there's a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I think we'll talk about that today in our initial topic, or a topic, I should say. Um, we'll go into what makes a good festival. Speaking of a good festival, what about All Good? All Good says All Good Festival, which uh, took place for several years, I think almost 15, um, said goodbye and is now presenting the Maryland Music Festival. I miss the old Marvin's Mountaintop days of All Good where you had this beautiful view behind the stage. I think, didn't the sun set behind the oh, stage? Man. There's one time Rat Dog was playing Dark Stars. The sun's setting behind him. Pretty sweet. And that was a festival that was very jam-centric. Uh, when jam was on its prime, it was jammy. And they never really, you know, as as they changed their uh, locations, as they changed everything else, um, they never... You gotta there wasn't maybe... There maybe wasn't enough of a variety on the on the bill from year to year. You're saying, Uh maybe, but I mean, the you know last year coming back, its headliner being Cake, I think, didn't really fit well, and I, I don't think the lineup last year was all that great. The last couple of years, I don't think personally the lineup was that great. There was some stuff that was spectacular. Um, I liked a lot of the middle acts they had, but but in terms of like headliners and um, you know, I think that you're you're competing with the world of all the different types of music festivals there are. And the amount of bang for your buck, um, when they lost that mountaintop, they lost a big piece because that was the, you know, to go up there and, and the beauty of that site and to sit on the hill and see the music and the interflowing sets and all that stuff. It was, it was pretty, pretty awesome. And you, lo- you lose that and all you have is a lineup. Your lineup has to be super, super tight. It can't be something that you're going to see all these bands elsewhere plus even more. So now the promoters are putting on a, sh- a festival at Meriwether, but it's all good Festival Presents. It's not actually called the All Good Festival? Exactly. It's taking place at Meriwether Post Pavilion, which is one of the, my favorite places to see the band Fish, or pretty much any show, but I only saw Fish there, so I can only vouch for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, a String Cheese Incident's going to be doing two sets at this event, which is kind of an interesting thing. You know, notice that whenever String Cheese plays a festival, they typically do like two sets. Is that like part of their rider? Like the deal? I guess they feel if they're going to be there, they might as well play a full show for their fans. Hmm. Okay. They're they're a band that looks out for their fans. I'll say that. They, There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. No. Also, they they also have in their rider that uh, in order to contract for the show, there needs to be ample room for hula hoops in the uh, front front uh, you know front area. You joke, but back in the days uh, when they were pretty big, they would not. My understanding, they wouldn't. Uh, they're still big, but they don't do New Year's runs anymore. And when they would do New Year's runs, they wouldn't book a city unless they knew. They had X amount of hotel rooms at a reasonable price for their fans, and that, oh. that's going the extra mile. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but I mean, I, I give that credit uh, to the band, absolutely. But that's a lot of the machine behind them, and Madison House is a phenomenal team to work with. They, they think out of the box like that. They, they, they think, you know, I think that's all tied in. Their management, et cetera, like their management, their booking agents, their publicity, all of those factors really come into play. And I think that when they, they, they're all about the fan, fan experience. But we're going to get into the fan experience here in a second as well. Uh, but with this Maryland Music Festival, Ben Harp and the Innocent Criminals, Grace Potter, uh, and uh, I mean the list goes on and on. But it's a, it's a, it, I'm really glad to see that the All Good Festival is doing something and doing something a little different, and that they didn't just go away. Um, uh, but yeah, and uh, some other announcements this week. You got Vertex, which speaking of Madison House, Madison House is uh, now with AEG, and they're presenting this festival in Colorado, in Buena Vista, Colorado, with a lineup that's a uh, Odessa, Alabama Shakes, the uh, Trade Band, um, and on and on from there. Graham Nash, fresh, fresh off his uh, 
split with David Crosby. The Claypool Lennon delirium, that's uh, Les Claypool with uh, John Lennon's son, Sean, and I've heard some good things from that. I'm so really curious what that's going to sound like. Very Do you have any proggy. idea? I've heard two cuts on Jam On. It's very proggy, very out there. Hmm. Interesting stuff. That's just two songs, but whatever. And the revivalists, always is, fun to uh, see them. On that note, though, before you go on, is, uh, is Mike Dillon going to be in that band? Well, that's a good question. I, 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 w- I wouldn't imagine why not if he's with Les, unless Sean's got some percussion wizard he wants with him. But who would not want Mike Dillon in their band? You know, exactly. he, he improves any stage he walks onto. And then the Vertex is going to be, um, it's one of these festivals up in the mountains of uh, Colorado. And uh, it's, like I said, it's a beautiful area. And there's going to be excursions. So it's not just a festival for music, but it's for the outdoor lovers. You know, you go out there, you don't just go to the festival. You're going to go hiking. You're going to go. Oh, outdoor lovers. I thought you meant, you said that a different way. Outdoor lovers. It's a festival for outdoor lovers. Grab your significant other and come to the Vertex. Great Christopher Cross headlining or something. Come, Vertex. It's a vertexual festival. But it's like you said, it's, it's run by the folks who do the Electric Forest. And I've not been, but I've heard amazing stories about the campgrounds and the bells and the whistles and the art installations and all this kind of stuff. Can you elaborate a little bit on Electric Forest? And can we expect the same sort of extra effort in the campgrounds from Vertex Festival. Well, let me be begin be a saying. Let me let me begin. Let me let me let me begin. How do you begin? I'm going to begin. Now listen here. Listen, listen here. here. So, what makes a festival like that? Electric Forest is a great example of a very successful festival. It sells out before the before artists are announced. <clears throat> it's in a, in a you know, remote location in Michigan, in Rothbury, Michigan. It's not a place that have High population, uh, you know, it's 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 out there. You know, it's, it's remote. Hey, it's remote. It takes a little bit of a journey to get there, and, which can um, be a good thing because um, the further you have to travel, the more likely you get real music fans there. You know, remember those fish festivals way up in Maine? Those attracted some of the best fish audiences ever, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. More the harder you have to work to get to a show, the more likely you are to have real serious music fans going to that show. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, so Electric Forest, when they do announce their lineup, they've got a great lineup. And, and there's something about Electric Forest that is a great example uh, for what makes music festivals successful. And to me, it's a three-part harmony. My wife likes to call it the triangle of love. I like it. Go with it. The three-part harmony? No, I like triangle of love. It's ah. more, more seductive. Amy wins again. So the, tri- the, ears up. <laughs> the triangle of love. So you've got the fan experience, which Rob obviously knows a lot about. You've got the artist and industry experience. You know, some call it the backstage, but it's more than that. And then the ingredient, the staff experience. Now you got to understand that these three different experiences are what's vital to make a success in a music festival. And really what those three ingredients, when they come together to make that triangle of love, it's really that triangle is what makes that festival culture. So when you look at examples of like Electric Forest, you've got the fans who love the music and are primarily there not just for the music, but for the experience of their friends. They love the food. They love the beer. They love the culture. They feel safe. The porta potties are clean. They're having fun. And then you've got this one-of-a-kind forest, which is, is, is that some people don't even see the music. They're there for the forest and all the, the hidden secrets that take place within all of that forest. And it's Sherwood for- Forest-themed, right? Oh, my God. Yes, it is. Uh, Do you then- want to explain what Sherwood Forest is for those who don't know? Uh, well, no, I mean, if they don't know, then they just need to go. It's the book Robin Hood, right? It's from Robin Hood. Okay, just take from the poor, why don't you? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, give to the poor. Oh, boy, I messed that you one take up. Take from the rich and give to the poor. Uh, I thought it was take from the rich and give to the whore. And you do the opposite with this volunteer program, don't you? Hey, you better shut your face. Oh, I'm just kidding. All right, so back to what we were saying. That's going to be deleted. Yes, of course, it's Robin Hood, for those of you who don't know. Robin Hood. The, uh, so, so you got the fan experience. Robin Hood. <clears throat> you got the fan experience. and then Robin the Hood, yo. So you got the fan experience. And then you got the artist experience. What makes the festival when the artists, like, look at Holy Ship, look at Jam Cruise, look at these places that, that, that the artists want to come back to. They have such a great time that it just, and Electric Forest is a great example. They have the best time. They're treated well. They're respected. They come. They, they, after the event, they go and they call their managers. And they're like, hey, Rodney, I got to get back here. This show is amazing. I can't, this, this. Now, what are they happy about? The food, the accommodations? What, what is it specifically that an artist is looking for? From artist transportation, p- communicating and picking them up on time to the hospitality, having uh, what's mentioned on their rider there for them. Uh, so everything that's been communicated is executed. There's not a, oh, really? No, I, mean, I know you wrote that down. So all that, they feel comfortable. They're, they're in a safe environment. They're, they're appreciated. They're appreciated by everybody. Um, even, you know, some of the festivals I work, they say to the staff, this might not be your music, but act like it is because it's their music and it's for the fans. And so when the musicians get there, the last thing a musician wants to hear is someone dogging about the, you know, like, see, if you're an EDM artist and... Staff doesn't like EDM. They don't want to hear you bitching about EDM. Or if you had Vertex complaining about tray ballads or something. Yeah, just, you know, they don't want to be that. comfortable. Just but, keep it to yourself. But in addition to that, food, that they're being fed nicely, you know, uh, that, that the hang is good. So with the industry, not just the artists, but what about the industry? You know, when you have industry there, booking agents, managers, publicists, all this sort of stuff, they're able to schmooze. And so Electric Force has this great backstage area where the artists and, and industry all hang alike. Matter of fact, there's even a pool back there and there's a pool party and some of the musicians that are performing and headlining hang out and actually play, you know, uh, DJ at the pool and, and, you know, Tito's is back there with a, you know, a drink thing. And so it's a really, you know, what you would think of a backstage experience, it is that. It's an ultimate experience and people have a great time. And the artists are happy. And then the number three part of the triangle? The staff experience. Uh-huh. And so, now. Yeah. Your staff, which are vital to putting up the stage, which are vital to producing the music that comes on the stage, off the stage, I should say, uh, to you know, your staff running your volunteers, to the volunteers themselves. Every element that, make, that takes place is done by a staff member, your, your people parking cars, I mean, everything. And so when the staff's happy, and what makes the staff person happy is that, one, they're respected. You know, the promoter acknowledges them. The person picking up trash, trash is acknowledged by the promoter. Or, you know, everyone's acknowledging each other. There's a team element. There's a, there's a synergy that takes place. Uh, and then the food, you know, you feed your staff. Why, why not feed your staff? Feed them well, just like they're artists. If you, if you feed your staff well, they're going to be happy. They're going to feel appreciated and they're going to work hard. Now, when you have all that happening and then the staff's happy, they want, they want to work there. People go out of their way to work there. They're happy. They're working hard. Your fans, they're having a great time. The artist industry, everyone wants to come back. To, once you achieve that, you've achieved a successful festival, and that creates a culture. Because it's, I mean, for the staff, it's like camp. You know, sure, they're working, but they're counselors, and counselors have fun. I mean, anyone that's ever been to camp knows that. Um, and so you, that's, that's what that, that triangle loves really about. And, and ultimately, when you break down some of the festivals, I feel you can look at certain festivals, you could be like, well, why, didn't that, why is that festival not successful? 
and you go to the promoter, the promoter's like, I don't know. I went to Coachella and I saw that and I went ahead and bought that and now we have this here and I got the lineup, same lineup as this and this and then I have it here and I got a field and I mowed it down. I mowed it down myself. My son and my other son and my other other son, we mowed that field. And so whatever. I don't know why I always go to the country voice, but it just seems appropriate. Well, I'll say uh, about your triangle, it could be, I would go with it if it's an, an isosceles triangle, but at the angle across from the base is the fan experience, which means it'd be the tip of the triangle, because those are the people who bring in the money in. Would that not be the most important thing? And generally, if a festival isn't successful, it's because the fans aren't happy and they're choosing to spend their money elsewhere? Well, but... Or you're saying it all feeds into if the staff's not healthy, then the fans get rubbed like, you off can by have, angry stuff. You can have you can have a successful festival without the three part harmony. But, but you don't have a harmonious festival. But what? But those that those are ingredients that that almost lead you to success. Because if your fans are happy, but your staff isn't, you're not always going to get the great staff, which isn't going to lead to. It's right. about the culture. It can rub off on the fans. You have to have the culture, and to create that culture, that's the ingredients to the make vibe. the culture. The overall vibe. It's the vibe, man. Everybody grooving on with yeah, each other. No, but it is. I mean, you want to define vibe. That's what creates a vibe. And yeah, you walk into a show, uh, be it at a concert or a festival, you know, be it a concert venue or a festival, you walk in. What happens? Do you feel good? Does the security make you feel good? Or you get through the toll booth. Are you being high fived by people that are your peers and excited to see you? Or are you feeling shooken down and like, I just drove 12 hours and now I just feel dirty, you know? <laughs> like, um, so when your staff's happy, they treat you happy. Gotcha. And it's a matter, you know, a circle of respect. I don't know what you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. These are ingredients. These are the things that make things happy. It's not just the lineup. And by the way, having a great lineup, if the bands aren't happy, that doesn't lead to really good performances. And if you don't have a good performance, just because the headliners and all these people are there, you're missing the, the, the show. The X factor. Yeah. So you might have just this, you can have the best lineup, but if you don't have all these other pieces, you're not going to have the great show and your fan, you might sell out, but you're not going to sell out for years to come because people can feel that. Okay. So, the triangle of love. You make good points. Now, remember, people, Seth has been working festivals for over 15 years, so he's not just talking out of his keister. Imagine Music Festival, which took place in Atlanta, it just announced that they're going to offer camping at a new venue. They're looking to fill a void for Tomorrow World, perhaps, but... Uh, they, this is what they've posted, uh, with attendance expected to at least double their 2016. Um, so Atlanta Business Chronicle notes, Imagine Festival is poised to become Georgia's largest three-day music camping festival. Now, what that means, we're not yet sure because what we're not sure of, or we're certainly not sure of, is where that venue is going to be. It used to take right. place uh, in, um, in downtown Atlanta, which was uh, the old Fourth Ward, actually, and it was right where f- the first Shaking East took place. I think it moved a little bit the next year, so it's on its third year, if I'm correct. But it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that. But that's a uh, that's a big, big move. And, and as far as I know, there Imagine Music Festival is an independent promoting uh, promoter or has been. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, what what comes with that. The company Iris, I believe, is it Iris. Yeah, Iris presents. Um, they do a lot of EDM in the area. But so yeah, Imagine Music Festival. Imagine what will be. And I got to mention one that was just announced because it's walking distance from my house, Seth. I'm seriously considering walking to this festival. Can you name the festival? Well, it's called Exercise Fest. Well, no. It's called Break the Belly. No, um, it's the uh, Candler Park Music Festival. Literally, I can cut over here and walk over there if you look and you see, and then I go across the tracks. It's, uh... <laughs> and listen to this bill for 20 bucks. You get to 20, walk. Well, hold on. Say that. Slow down. Slow down. Slow $20. down. $20. Really? 
That's amazing. $20 gets you. Galactic. Keller Williams' Grateful Grass. Oh, I've heard great things. Chris Robinson's Brotherhood. A band that, they just lost their bassist, though, and a band that's developed organically. I wonder if that'll be a tough loss for them. The Revivalists, who are always great, and their only problem was limited repertoire, and they're starting to flesh out their repertoire more, so that's wonderful. Yonder Mountain String Band, who has uh, uh, the biggest threat to my wife in jam. Her name is Allie Cross. She's now their permanent uh, fiddle player. <laughs> she's amazing. And she sang uh, yeah, You're No yeah, Good she's... at their most recent stop here in Atlanta. It was absolutely killer. She, she became full-time about last great. year. She, uh, I, I got to see her play with them the last couple... Um, Strings and Souls, uh, Strings and Soul, which is in the Mexico, Mexico, the Mayan Riviera. It's, she's been phenomenal with them. And I thought I watched her too much when she was in Cornmeal. Uh, those the, the Yonder shows I went to, I, I couldn't keep, take my eyes off her. Right, uh, Lee Fields at. and the Expressions, authentic '60s soul, right here in Atlanta. And then this King Baby, who I don't know, but great Peacock, Seth, yes. your boys. Yeah, they're not my boys, but they are our boys because we're going to be listening to a lot of them. I think that I think these guys are going to be. Um, a name that's a household name. They've got they've got songs. They've Seth, got songs. Seth is huge, a huge proponent of theirs. He's played some music. I enjoyed as well. They're going. We're going to feature them on the end of a show soon, and we're going to apparently have them as guests. Yeah, as they're, we're we going to definitely have them as guests when they come to Candler Park. We talk to them. They're going to they're going to either stop by the studio or we're going to stop by there. Maybe do maybe we'll follow them around for a couple of days and see what the what see, see hang out with them until they spread their wings. Can I pick your Can I pick your brain for a minute since I'm a co-host with you? Yeah. This, I should have the opportunity to pick your brain. You can pick my brain. New York City, this whole thing going on with the governor's ball and the panorama. I just want to be in your panorama. Oh, I know what you're getting to. So panorama. Can you explain yeah, explain right. the two festivals. All right, so and first then of all, you've got governor's ball, which has taken place in Randall's Island for the last several years. Uh, independent promoters that have been putting this on uh, with um, Foundry uh, Presents. Foundry, I believe it is. Um, and so... Um, independent promoters. And then uh, all of a sudden, a couple months ago, you hear that um, AEG is going to put on a festival there. Now, AEG used to put on a festival in New York called All Points West. Uh, and so now they created one called uh, Panorama. And Panorama is going to take place two weeks after Governor's Ball in Randall, at Randall's Island. Which in festival parlance and festival in the festival lexicon in general is way too close well, for two festivals to be in the same city. When they're that similar of a lineup. Yes. And so Foundry went ahead and, and put a you know promotion together to stop the AG from producing this and sent letters to the mayor and all sorts of stuff. And and you know, tried putting a halt on it saying this isn't good for business, you know, we're independent, etc. Well, now That seems uh, whiny. Is that not whiny? Why does that seem whiny well, to I me? Think Am I wrong? To, they're, I mean, they're trying to protect their brand and trying to protect their wallet. I mean, True, they're, but that, know, they're putting on a huge event. They, but they're allowed. The, they're both allowed to time it however they want, aren't listen, they? Is there a gas station across from a gas station everywhere you look? I've seen Starbucks across from Starbucks. Well, that's you know. So, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're right. You know, you're definitely right or left, depending which side of the street you're on. But um, but yeah. So the the petition didn't work, and 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 now age. So, but here's 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 what's interesting today. Uh, Polestar uh, posts an article: Live Nation acquiring Governor's Ball. Uh, so mm, the this is it does. So not saying that this has happened officially, but uh, apparently this is a big speculation happening that Live Nation is uh, looking at uh, purchasing the this the this festival, Governor's Ball, which which would then make Founders Entertainment not so independent any longer, which would void this whole petition that they started at any rate. Um, but but to answer your question without you actually asking the question, 
Is, no, I thought it. You're right. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, is New York City, is there room for two festivals that have similar lineups and similar styles to take place? Uh, you know, I did some research, Seth. Yeah. There's a lot of people in New York City. Like, uh, a, like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like a shit ton of people all right in that little area. So maybe they could support it. Uh, maybe. But you know what? We'll see. Stay tuned and listen to us in August. We'll be oh, revisiting we'll be all this. We'll have all the news on that. Mm-hmm. It'll be fascinating. I'm uh, really excited to get into the Colonel uh, Bruce Hampton interview. Oh, but, be- yes. but before we do, yes, do you yes. mind if we take take a caller up? That's a tr- I love callers. Uh, you know I love callers. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Oh, good evening. I do. I'm so it's just great to be here on the on the on the on the um, uh, home and garden program. Uh, home and garden program. Oh yes, this is the home and garden podcast. Please. Uh, no, it's not. I mean, maybe a spinoff down the road, but this is not the Home and Garden podcast. Oh, my, uh, my very, very, very sorry. Please, excuse me. I called. Uh, I'm going to give another call. Thank you. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, well, shall we try one more caller? Wow, I, I want to do a Home and Garden show now. <laughs> maybe we should. Should we try one more caller, though? Sure, another caller. Right. I hope this one's a little better. Hello, you're on the air. Hello, uh, Mordecai Grossman here, the Schlomberg Foundation. How the hell are you? Hey, Mordecai, what's going on? Hey, you... hey, it's good to be here. It's been a while since I've been on the radio. I gotta tell you, I used to do a show back in the day. The Ori and Ari show was fantastic. Where, but... where was that show? New York City! <laughs> Excuse me. What was that? What, what station was that on? WCBS? W something, something, something. Anyway, listen, turn on. Uh, Shimmy, Seth, whatever the hell your name is. Listen, yeah, yeah. Uh, my friend runs a carpet place, and he has a great deal. I just want you to know if you're ever looking for carpet, we got you covered. Okay? Okay. Okay. I heard I brown was invented in Denver. Brown? I don't know these things, but we'll find out eventually, I imagine. Anyway, I listen, want brown uh, carpet invented in Denver. Listen, polyester carpet, whatever you want, he's got. But listen, you just tell me when you need it. Mordecai Gross from the Schomburg Foundation. How the hell are you? Thank you, Mordecai. All right. Thanks for. Are you listen? Did you listen to the first episode, Mordecai? I don't listen. I just talk. So I'm going to call you guys again. But do me a favor. You get Doctor Lonnie Smith. I need the good doctor on the show. Okay, we will. By the way, how did you know to call us if you didn't listen to the first episode? Have a good day. (laughs) Okay, Mordecai. Thanks for calling in. Mordecai, thank you so much for calling. Wow, what a what a name. What a person. What a what a mensch. Mordecai, the only other Mordecai I'm familiar of is a very famous picture, Mordecai Three Finger Brown. Three finger. Three finger brown. brown. It was a pitcher in the Major League Baseball. I'm sure the Colonel would have known him, known about him. And you're listening to Sports Radio with and Robert Seth hates Turner. When I mention sports, <laughs> he hates it. I can't even talk about hey, sports hey. for a second. You can talk about. It. I'll be a good sport. I'll listen. No, but you're right. There's plenty of sports podcasts out there. I recommend Bill Simmons. So, hey, uh, Rob, will you help us introduce the Colonel Bruce Hampton segment? Uh, it was very Interview. kind of Colonel Bruce to give us time. Um, this is going to be the first of two parts we're going to play. Uh, uh, he seemed to enjoy himself, so we plan on having him as a, as a regular guest uh, whenever we can. And um, I believe that he'd be interested in being a regular guest. He definitely, uh, he, was, he, was, he was open to it. He was quite amiable, and then he hung out for another, even though it was, a, it was a Tuesday night. No, it was a Friday night, and we finished the interview about 11.30, and he hung out another hour. He didn't even want to leave. Well, you amazed him. You, had, you seemed to have known. You, I mean, Rob, I don't know what you studied on, Bruce, but you're like, oh, yeah, Bruce, so... um. You, I think it was June 4th, 1978, that you stepped foot into Carnegie See, this is, Hall, Delhi. Seth mocks my research because he doesn't do any of his own. <laughs> so go ahead, mock away. But I've interviewed him a couple times no. before. you got to remember listen, that. You can listen and to I, fo- I kind of follow music. I'm not just into the business side of it. 
I actually follow the music and the. Mm-hmm. And well, the so you know how to read charts. That's awesome. But you don't. <laughs> I know how to read charts or statistics, like some of those reviews that are just stats, so, just like mathematical <laughs> breakdowns of what happened. So uh, we think you're going to enjoy this. There was definitely some funny moments and great stories. Uh, if you know the Colonel or ever heard him before, he's got great stories. But he talks a lot, talks a lot about his movie coming up, and uh, we really truly hope you enjoy it. It'll be a two part, uh, and uh, we hope to hear you guys. Uh, here, we hope you'll listen to us. Uh, episode three uh, coming out in a week or so. We'll go ahead and uh, air part two of the Colonel Bruce interview at that point. And um, and remember, here comes Rusty premiere at the Bucket Theater April third, and with a performance afterwards as well. If you're in or near Atlanta, you should absolutely come. This is going to be part of the history of our music scene, you know. And the Colonel's a star of this movie. It's going to be a trip. He's going to be there watching it for his first time. As well, as he told us in an interview, he hasn't even seen it yet. Well, don't you wait and let them listen to the interview. Here comes Rusty. The whole interview, Rob. Oh, and then when he said, oh, Rob. But he also... Don't rob them of this interview, Rob. But there was this really cool thing where... Let's get inside by getting out with Colonel Bruce Hampton. And you can listen to Seth. I can't even get through an introduction without Seth interrupting me. Take it away. Since the late 60s, our guest has been making his own singular way through the music world. Armed with the knowledge of R&B and a love of improvisation and jazz and, quite frankly, comedy, he's fronted some great bands, including the uh, cult classic Hampton Grease Band, one of the greatest jam bands ever, the Aquarium Rescue Unit, Fiji Mariners, today uh, the Madrid Express, I believe, right? He has always been uh, had a love of improvisation. That's one of the things I, I, I like about him the most. Also, the fact that he appeared on two Frank Zappa albums, and he also has an acting career. Which... Well, don't don't forget he was a uh, pro wrestler. <laughs> yes, manager. Manager, yeah, manager. Yes, manager. Excuse me. But I don't know how many people know that you appeared in Sling Blade, and uh, there is a documentary of your life. It's been so interesting, called Basically Frightened, and he stars. As Dickie St. John in the new Here Comes Rusty, which is hitting theaters soon. The premiere is coming right up in early April. And, April, uh, April 3rd, Buckhead Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, <laughs> and it's going to be part of the Atlanta Film Festival. And Seth and I are just very delighted to have on our show Colonel Bruce Hampton. Welcome, Colonel Bruce. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... <laughs> uh, Okay. Why? Why? First question is why are you thinking about the number seven? What's What's the deal with number seven? Why are you thinking about it? No seven tonight. No seven. No. No. It's not a seven. It's a five day. It's a five day. Yeah. Five is blue. Mm, seven wow. is purple. But uh, it's a blue day. All right. All right. What's brown then? Oh, uh, one. One. You know what? Brown was discovered in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come up with my birthday? Not yet. Okay. You'll know. You'll know. I got it before. Numbers. Yes, you had. <clears throat> that's right. You yeah. did guess it once at the Brandy yeah, House. Yeah. I can't believe you remember that. <laughs> Brandy House. Speaking of that, it's time to that's get. That's a long uh, time ago. Twenty years ago, right. man. That was. Uh, that was. It was a. Uh, it was quite the quite the time. I'm at, for those of you that don't know, the Brandy House was a uh, venue here in Atlanta, Georgia, where the Colonel held a residency and had his band play, but he'd always have a surprise under his sleeve. I mean, from John Popper. Warren Haynes. Fish. Fish, yeah. yeah. Watchford Panic, Grateful Dead, uh, Dale McCurry. I mean, we, 
Wow. Vassar Clements stayed for a week and played. <laughs> God, that was I'd love to take up one of those recordings. And Little Feet, and uh, just we had, you know, every week there'd be somebody that was... Would, would you guys ever get rehearsal time, or would you just wing it every time? Pretty much wing it every time. There'd usually be a Friday rehearsal for 20 or 30 minutes just to get the head of the tune and just go. I think Warren played there about four nights, and Popper did. We did five nights with mm -hmm. him. And I remember the kids were, when Johnny and Mike played with us from Fish, they were coming through the ceiling, and it was shaking. All this <laughs> dust was coming out. Nobody had been up there in 30 years. And uh, it was quite the place, and I wish we had it back just to go listen to music. There was yeah. nowhere like it. Didn't you have personal history in that room previous to that? Was it a you, grocery store? You know everything. It's funny, but four of my friends who are still my friends, uh, we were the took care of the lettuce and the olives at Winn-Dixie. It was Piggly Wiggly, and then it became Winn-Dixie. And we would take those olives, and we'd get 3,000 of them up, and they'd spoil every week. And my friend had a mortar, and we shot him in the restaurants, like 3,000, and then splatter all over the table. And people would wonder where those olives come from. Olive attack. Olive attack. Uh, some, said, some would say, I loved it. Welcome to my world. Let's talk about Here Comes Rusty. Rusty. Because you have acted before, but uh, you're kind of the star in this. You play Dickie St. John. You, you own uh, a horse racing track, right? Yeah. And uh, you, you come to some decision point. Uh, can you explain that? Or I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to give away too much. You know, I haven't seen the movie, so I've almost forgotten it. It's been about seven months, and we were in Mobile shooting for a month. And it was 103 degrees, and we were just all cooked every day. And, uh, you know, we were doing it, but I can't remember a lot of it. And well, what about remembering uh, <clears throat> some of the, you have a band in it, right? The band was George Porter on bass and Nikki Glassbee on drums and the Brat <laughs> on guitar. The one and only Taz. Taz, and he how just, old is he now? He's an ancient 12. Ancient 12, he's an ancient 12. And yeah. uh, I'm going to, the band is Dickie and the... Dinosaurs, Dickie I and think the dinosaurs. they named it, yeah. But now this guy, the little guy, is... Uh, pr it, this is um, this is your in our I guess as a f outside perspective I guess you could say would you say that this is your new O'Teal your new this well, is your new uh, his, his name is Brandon Niedenauer and he's twelve years old and he's doing the School of Rock right now on Broadway and just flooring people and mm -hmm. what's funny these uh, women who've been big in show business forever come up to him and I know they're trying to kidnap him. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta watch I out mean, for him. He's very cute and uh, he was on the Macy's Day Parade which was my favorite just seeing yes, him up there wailing. And then when he was on a Colbert show that was unbelievable. And I've heard the tapes when they quit you know they went to break they didn't quit. Ah nice. And it was just smoking. And one thing that came up in our first episode is that assuming he's whatever age, if he plays for another 50, 60 years, that means the Colonel Bruce influence extends almost to the next century. So wow. that, there's something to be said for that. Mm -hmm. Outfluence. <laughs> Outfluence. <laughs> but another thing that was interesting to me about Here Comes Rusty is that there's someone in this movie I've been a fan of longer than a lot of the musicians that I listen to, and that's... Uh, <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> yes. I just blanked on his name. Fred Willard. Yes, Fred Willard. He used to do Fernwood Tonight with Martin Mull. 
Did you ever watch you're that not, show? You're not old enough to know that. Well, I love <laughs> I love the Larry Sanders show in the in the nineties. Hey, it was Gary one. Shandling. Yes, great that's show. where that comes hey, from. Great show. It was maybe my favorite comedy ever, and I had forgotten about Fernwood tonight. But then it, it's still unbelievable, and it's all on YouTube. I think, or it was six months ago. We would go watch it with Fred, <laughs> you know, during the shooting, and just it was a remarkable show. Martin Mole was the host, and Fred was on it, and they had. The Mirth Makers was the band's name, and uh, I, I don't know how anybody can be that subtle for 50 years. I mean, I put him, they're thinking about having the Fred Willard, you know, Oscar night, just giving <laughs> the award to him every year, you know. But um, I put him in the level of Groucho and Jonathan Winters. He's one of the absolute greats. And it's just always so subtle, and you don't know what he's doing. And then 30 <laughs> minutes later, you go, God. So he does yeah. a lot of setup and. I don't know what he does. It's just absolutely amazing. I love, I love to see you guys at a restaurant. That would be probably one of the best experiences well, I just can imagine. So I have, ha have a good one. We were in Mobile and uh, it said partons instead of patrons. Welcome. <laughs> and then we sat down and every other light was missing. And so we went in there because it was no one in there ever. And we would order on the menu it said avocado sandwich <laughs> so they ran out of avocado <laughs> but we went as much as we could oh man yeah how, how many scenes did you do with fred god well like i say i've never seen the movie right i don't know, I don't know if i've edited maybe six or seven i guess or maybe as little as four maybe and is he an actor that makes it easier for you? No, I mean, just he sets you up and, you know, you can't do wrong. If you do wrong, it, it's your fault, you know. I mean, he's so calm and so good and such a pro. And you would, you know, guy's 75 years old, man, you would figure, hey, I'm going to dog this and take it easy. And he had like three pages of lines. Mm. It was 75 degrees and, I mean, 106 degrees in Mobile, and he's in a cowboy suit, which he wore on the plane. <laughs> and he gets off in Mobile, Alabama, a on a plane, and he you know had spurs on, and just <laughs> we're gone. <laughs> there's there's no one better, man. Was he at all method? What, did he stay in character all day long? I don't. I think he has stayed in character sixty two years. <laughs> you don't know if it's reality, a film, or playing anymore. And his musical knowledge is incredible. And I got to talk to him a lot about uh, seeing Spike Jones. I've never met anybody who saw Spike Jones, so I wanted. And Cab Calloway saw, and he's a huge baseball fan. He and Martin Mull go to the games all the time, and I got to pick his brain about that. That's yeah, he, uh, Mobile. It's a Henry Aaron. Baseball that, field, right? That's incredible. You know everything. Yes. <laughs> I've always and wanted to go there. I've, Hank's I've from been there. there. It's too hot to sit out there. But uh, name two other famous people from Mobile. Oh no. <coughs> can I call a Can I call a friend? Jimmy Buffett's one of them. No, Buffett's from Mobile. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Oh. And what's another? I, I mean, or who is the other? Should I say? Well, fifty <laughs> miles away is Willie Mays. And, yeah. He'll kill a mockingbird. <laughs> now, can you talk Harperly. about Tyler Russell, young director? He's, he's, he's 26 years old. He's amazing. And uh, this is his first feature, and he's was an amazing cameraman, I heard. And uh, he, he, he got it done, and I don't know how. I mean, we did the whole thing, you know, just flew by it. And uh, 
He's a great director and he's going to be around a long time. He's already worked on Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning, Flood Streets, and Carjacked. And he, he uh, said of the movie that it's full of heart and southern charm. Wow. And also, if you folks search YouTube, he, there's an interview that he conducts uh, with the colonel. It's kind of entertaining. Yeah, that, that was a good one. It was, I believe, your first time on FaceTime. <laughs> he's that even, was scary. Yeah. He's even done stunt work. Did you know that? No. So we want to actually, get, really? I want to get him on the show, actually. It'd be great. Yeah, he's a great guy. And when he's here, let's, let's do it. You know, if he's got time. I'm sure he's got time. I don't know. How, I guess he's here for four days. He's 26, but he's going on 48, and you just know he's going to be around forever. Now you have a, you, know? you actually have a talent for finding talent, in that sense. I mean, when you do you uh, when you discover uh, someone, be it uh, you know a musician or any anyone for that matter, uh, do you see the talent right away and just know it? Do you see something you just sense? It's in the face. In it's the right face. here in the jaw. They mean it. <laughs> you know, they're here. They're intense. Right, mm -hmm. whether it be an engineer or a bass player or a swimmer, you know, I just um, you just know that they can do it, mm -hmm. or you can trust them enough that they'll show up. Well, then that's your secret that you uh, you I believe. If anyone wants to walk away from anything from this, it's just about showing up. Well, that's all there is. Uh, well, I mean, you... you're not dead, and you haven't been fired, so you continue showing up. And they go, why is he here? <laughs> showing up. <laughs> Can you talk about the first time Jimmy Herring showed up? I think Aquarium Rescue was already playing. It might have even been a little five points, was yeah. it? First time I met him, we were doing a benefit at the Cotton Club okay. for good friend Ricky Keller, and he came in, and I went, God, what a nice guy, and told or ask Mr. O'Teal if he knew any weird guitar players. And he said, yes, I do know one. I went, I remember him. Let's get him. And, uh, and it clicked right away, huh? Yep. It clicked so strong for so long, it was amazing. Now for such I mean, a sh quiet, nice, shy guy, and the way that you guys took things out and played the crowd, was he, was he just a, a, a part of the ride, or is he creative in the bus going, hey, you know, we should, uh, we should definitely jump out of a toothpaste bottle tomorrow. <laughs> he, he gave attention without reactive thought. <laughs> he gave intelligence beyond thought. <laughs> Which is perfect for improv. <laughs> well, he had never seen anything like it. I mean, he's from Fayetteville, North Carolina, and, you know, we were, we were cooked. Yeah. I mean, we were done. You know, we'd go stand outside for an hour. The rest of the band would play and we'd have midgets, you know, up in the air and people with nails and had a guy smoking a cigarette through his throat that could dance on one. <laughs> it was basically a carnival and uh, quite, you know, O'Teal was in a majorette's dress and he could leap through the air to every table and he'd be playing bass oh in his God. dress. <laughs> and he was 21 years old. His dad called me and said, look, man, I can't help you on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give him any drugs. <laughs> and what about Sipe, a young Jeff Sipe? What are your memories of him? About 85, I met him August 24th, 1985. And uh, I was hired by a guy to come destroy a wedding. <laughs> Wait, say that again? I was hired by a gentleman to play as out as I possibly could. So me and Sipe and Dan Wall, the great jazz piano player, were on the gig. And the bass player was Robert E. Lee the <laughs> Third, and I said, I, so "I said, what are you doing?" I said, "I have no idea, but we're playing Monday night and come." And he went, "God, this is insane." I went, "I guess <laughs> I don't, don't know." And uh, we stayed together. We we're playing a lot this summer, 
which is always a thrill. Jeff is a great drummer and a good person. This summer coming up, Aquarium Rescue is playing? Mm -hmm. uh, we're hoping to. I don't know what the status is. Uh, we're looking at September last, I heard, but I haven't heard back. So yeah. when you guys get back together, to, how much do you have to rehearse and how much does it just come right back? Uh, a lot of it comes back, but a lot of rehearsal goes in. Because there's some intricacy in that. Yeah, there's some intricacy, yeah. yeah. A lot of rehearsal, especially the timing of everything and who starts the tempo and, you know, where do we end. And But what about this, the last tour? Not only did you get back together when you hadn't played for a while, but early in the tour, you have one of the greatest guitarists in the world ever sit in with you. So oh, is, Johnny. <laughs> does that make it easier or harder when you guys are still... John McLaughlin, yeah. was at the Paul Reed Smith? Yeah, Paul Reed Smith. Thing. I mean, John's the master as far as I'm concerned. There's nobody can touch uh, him. Is it true he asked to sit in? Yeah, yeah. Is it ever intimidating to play with musicians anymore? Because if it would be... No, as long as you're you, you know. I mean, I know where I'm at, and I'm just blessed to be doing what I'm doing, and I'm not good enough to be humble. The rest of the cats there are, maybe, but, uh, you know, as long as you have the intent, not the confidence or faith, but just the intent of being you and there's nobody better. You know, you're not good or bad, you're just there. And it's, mar you know, it's marvelous. I mean, Dennis Chambers, Sipe, and John playing in the back line was amazing. Yeah, to say the least. You and can they, find it on YouTube, but you have to, the yeah. best video is actually listed as Paul Reed Smith Band with <laughs> Jimmy and, uh, <laughs> and John McLaughlin. Then you can click on it. There's a few listed that way, but one of them you click on it, it's ARU with John McLaughlin, and, and you can yeah. find it. Maybe we'll play the audio from it at the yeah, end of the show. Yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, maybe it's possible. We'll uh, see if we can uh, get permission okay. from okay. whoever we need to play that on the app. That'd you be great. got it. You got it. You heard it here I first. I control the East Coast. <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, playing with John was wonderful, and he certainly is a gentleman. And God, 50 years he's lasted, you know. It's unbelievable. He's in a new band with Santana and um, Wayne Shorter. Really? That's weird. They're calling it Supernova, but wow. they, uh -huh. when they announced it last year, when they first floated it, they made it clear, Carlos made it clear that they're probably not going to be U.S. states. Carlos is getting the Santana band together, the original one. That's going to tour the states. We're not going to get the Supernova. And when I hear stuff like that, I often wonder if that's a, a knock on American audiences, you know, because Wayne Shorter demands very quiet, plays very quiet and moving stuff today. Yeah. Do, do you think a lot of the jazz artists avoid the states in part because audiences well, are... They don't know, they don't, can't hear it. I mean, you know, Wayne stays in Europe, I guess. But he'll play the urban areas and do real well and have a great audience. But, the, I mean, just the adoration of, you know, Sweden or France of Wayne Shorter, you know. I mean, what a giant of a composer. I mean, there's nobody left, hardly, who can touch Wayne Shorter as far as I'm concerned. Did you ever hear the... Uh, I think John was telling us somebody, I can't remember, in... Uh, 1969, Hendrix was putting together a band with, I mean, Miles Davis putting together a band with Jack D. Chanette on drums, Hendrix on guitar, oh, and Paul McCartney on bass. No, I never and I that. had never heard that. And <laughs> Paul McCartney said he never got the message. Oh. And he would have done it. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's urban, yeah. you know, but I just wonder if you ever heard I've never I'd heard I've never that. heard that, no. Wow, yep. crazy band. Although I wonder, could McCartney at that point in his career hang with the improv? He was not a big improv guy until recently. You really. know, I just I heard the guy five years ago, and I've never liked his bass playing, and he's the best rock and roll bass player there is now. He's just unbelievable, man. I don't know what he did, but 
Whoo, that's a bad. I think that Abraham Lorberiel Jr. helps him on the drums. He brings out a lot. That's but the, big, I mean, the big ball. Yeah, the yeah. The guy you want, guy you want to meet in an alley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is the Atlanta music scene. Is that not correct? Yeah. Well, yeah, not a lot, but a good. You know, we're going to start off that because our audience are our friends here in Atlanta. So thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, Atlanta's gone through a lot of changes, and we we keep doing talking about Atlanta, so we might as well, well talk about well, Atlanta. Well, the Colonel but, goes back to he used to sneak into shows, and then I think he would uh, he ended up starting to hoodwink band members into sneaking them in, right? I think Bobby Blue Bland's guitar started sneaking you in, right? God, how do you know everything? Yeah, <laughs> Wayne Bennett, I was 15 years old. To show you how the world's changed since I'm an old fuddy-duddy, I was living 10 miles away. I'd jump out of my parents' house at about 11.15, get on my moped, no helmet, drive on the expressway at 42 miles an hour, park my bike next to the Royal Peacock at 181 and a half Auburn Avenue, <laughs> And I would find the ticket taker and he'd take me to Wayne. Wayne would grab my hand and I'd stand, I'd hit a vapor trail and he'd put me where <laughs> nobody could see me. And I saw the greatest music there ever was, you know, for years. And uh, I never got caught. And Coach Bill Curry was there every night almost. Mm. He was at Tech, I guess, at the time, you yeah. know. So he was a Jackie Wilson junkie. and. Jackie did six nights there, and I was there every night. And just, you don't see anything like that with the time, the urgency, the tone. Mm. It's gone. Did I, Bob, would Bobby Blue Bland drive the crowd crazy? I mean, he had that yell thing. Man, <laughs> which is a long story on that. I can't oh, I'd love tell. to hear it because it's always, it's very phlegmy. He, but soulful phlegm, but phlegmy. <laughs> what's funny, man, Derek Trucks, I guess, is 20 years ago, he was at the Pensacola Jazz Festival. And every time he did it, we would raise up and scream. Because <laughs> I absolutely adore it more than any musical statement there is. But uh, what, what, what? it would be the cartilage in his throat or something that made him do it. I asked Wayne, and Jabbo is still playing his drummer. He's in a Grayton Beach and plays four nights a week. The we Red just, Bar, right? We just, yeah, we just got to play with him up here. Huh. With the James Brown Band, which is just tremendous. And... Uh, so they told me all the stories. And yeah, the, well, every woman there weighed over 250. And Wayne would get on the mic and say, put your purse down, Bobby Bland's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and they would literally faint. And there'd be 50 of them right up front screaming. It was like the Beatle concert or something. But Otis was the king, right? Otis Redding? Otis Redding was the king, yeah. He was he was amazing, but you know what? The crowd did not react to him like they did Bobby. Huh. It was funny they liked him, but they didn't go ape crazy because mm. he was so full of energy. It was like a yin yang thing, and it sort of blew my mind. And a lot of people scream at me for saying that. I sure went crazy, but it wasn't like pandemonium. Mm -hmm. And his guitar was quietly hugely influential. Johnny Jenkins was amazing. Yeah, Johnny Jenkins was amazing. We got. I, me and Phil Walden went to his house oh, 20 years ago to get him to do a record for Capricorn. And he climbed up the tree and said, I'll talk to you, Bruce. I ain't talking to Phil. Hey, tell us. <laughs> we got him in the car, and he hadn't been out of his house in 20 years. We're driving over to Decatur, Alabama to do the record, and he sees an automatic coffee machine and ran. Just <laughs> ran out. The, he didn't know they existed. I mean, so it was like... Just social, general social anxiety? Yeah, 
Johnny was it, yeah. yeah. Spe speaking of Phil, can you tell the story? It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, There's the, too the, many. The plane, the plane story. So it was Dwayne and Dickie and Greg and Bunky Odom and Phil were flying to Atlanta, then going to New York. And Phil had had some success, and the Delta stewardess came up to him and said, Sir, where's your ticket? And he grabs his lapel and said, Evidently, you don't know who I am. <laughs> and he said, Guys, tell her who I am. Tell her. Tell her, tell her who I am. And went on to, then he had to buy his $27 ticket eventually. <laughs> evidently. <laughs> evidently, you don't understand who I am. When, it, when evidently turns into a seven-syllable word, someone's offended. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, getting to Phil Walden's like 12 years of talking right there. Oh, I hope somebody does the book. I asked Billy Bob Thornton to do it, and he said he won't touch it for a while. And we just played in Capricorn Studios three weeks ago, and they're rebuilding it. That. That yeah, that's was, what I hear. That was something, man. What is so Macon? Do you think Macon's going to have a, a resurgence of uh, being well, kind of a, a hub for music? Now you know that the, 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 the Capitol Theater there. Is Capitol Theater? Is that what it is? Douglas Cox Theater. Cox Capitol. Cox, Cox Capitol Theater. Yeah, okay. And uh, the, so the, the guy from the Georgia Theater, uh, Scott Orvald, is, is booking that now. Oh. And so you've got this, you know, He's, he's also doing stuff in Atlanta, so you've got the potential for multiple buys for dates and et cetera. But, um, but you know, back in the in the 70s and 80s, Macon was Macon. It happened, you know? It, it had a lot going on, whereas now, I don't know, maybe it's going to have a resurgence. Yeah, tell us about Macon in the 70s. I please. could go for six or seven hours, and, I mean, I look like Dan Quayle down there. It was an insane <laughs> asylum is all I can tell you. The first day I get there... I won't mention his name, but he was chopping a Mercedes in half with an axe. <laughs> and down the street, it's on the internet because I'll make up anything, but this mayor comes, Ronnie Thompson, in a tank with the headphones on and sitting on the gun coming down the street to stop a train. He was going to blow the train up because they were delivering something he didn't like. Oh and I go, okay, this guy's chopping this car. And there's somebody, Phil and Alan, are rolling around fist fighting in the office. And then I walk out and there's a tank. And that happened in 20 minutes. <laughs> and I went, okay, it's good to be here at Capricorn. <laughs> and, I mean, I could literally go on for the next eight hours. It just, we, I mean, we said we have a meeting with all the Capricorn executives about once a month where we go eat lunch and just tell stories. And you're just in the floor because it's impossible what happened there. What's your most enduring memory of Dwayne Allman? Just uh, the intensity of him all the time. I mean, he was always intense, to say the least, and what a wonderful spirit and a really good guy. And he meant business, man. There was, you know, there was uh, tons of laughter, but no jokes. Well, he mm. slept out just to get into Muscle Shoals, right? Well, yeah, oh, yeah. That's a good story, yeah. He would camp out. I mean, the guy meant business. He, oh, wanted, yeah. he knew what he wanted to he do. He knew what he wanted to do, and Phil came to him and said, I want to be your manager. And they never signed a contract. Hmm. And Dwayne went, okay. And there's funny, there's two Wilson picket tanks of Hey Jude. Mm -hmm. There's a, one with Dwayne on it, and the other with another guy, I can't remember his name. But there's two different takes of it. We're going to play at Muscle Shows in about three weeks. What's the venue so, at the actual? I, I don't know, but I uh, can't wait. And I heard Spooner Oldham's there, the great piano player, and 
Speaking of piano players, uh, most influ- uh, what's your favorite current piano player? Well, I'd have to go with the guys playing with me, Johnny Knapp and Matt Slocum. And Johnny's been around for... He, before time, yeah. He was Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of Defense. <laughs> He's another guy who just loves to play. He'll sometimes just jump in the van with you when you're going on the road. Yeah, right? I mean, we'll go to Virginia. It's in the middle of summer. The air conditioner's broken. It's 112 He'll go, turn on the heat. Let's see how much we can take. <laughs> he's 90 or 100. By the way, the Madrid Express, the current band, is playing Muscle Shoals April 16th. It's Champies. And you're playing Memphis the night before, Lafayette Music Room. Yeah. A lot of Georgia gigs on here. Uh, coming Georgia, the good old days, Steve Barrahill, you know him? He, he brings a lot of great bands in there, has it for free. Steve's live music, isn't that? It's the same Steve? Nope, different Steve. Um, he's the... Colonel's playing there April 9th. That's also a good place to see Jeff Sype. Keep an eye on that venue if you want to see Jeff Sype projects. Uh, April 22nd, Valdosta, Lucky's. Is that a good room? Because Valdosta lost their big room. Oh, do they? I like playing there quite a bit. That's a newer one? Because they used to have yeah. JPs, but that's long gone. <laughs> and, and the, Miss oh, Roberta. Yeah, gone. Miss Roberta. And the, the um, <laughs> best room in the world is Tallahassee. Oh, you love the Bradford. The Bradfordville Blues love Club. Love it. Yeah, April I would, 23rd. I, I would pay to play there. That's just... Uh, that that's the best room I play. And the owner's a big fan, like a true music He's fan, right? Just unbelievable. He built a house for people to stay there. We're just talking just about that as a His name's Gary and he's been in very bad shape. He's okay now, I hear, and they had a bout with something and, you know, got real scary. And uh it was the first Negro baseball league. The field's right out there, it's the blues trail. And uh, mm-hmm. the same woman has cooked there every night for 40 years, and she brings out fish. And it's just you know, a sterling place, to say the least. A well-fed band is a happy band. There yeah, you go. <laughs> Triangle of love. <laughs> Triangle of love. But we should get back to the Atlanta scene. Like in the yeah. 70s and 80s, what were some of your favorite places, favorite, favorite experiences, uh, was a place either as a performer or as, or as a listener? Well, I was at a place called... Uh, Midtown Jazz Club for five years, and we would, we I was working as a comedian, and we would bring in you know Alice Coltrane, the Mose Allison, the McCoy Tyner, Art mm. Blakey with the Nine Piece Band, and no one ever came. We had eighty people, you know, <laughs> and the guy would just dump money after money, and he didn't know who they were and didn't care, and it was just a paradise room to say the least. Kenny Barrett, I mean, name anybody. It was on their route to come here. And I gotta know, would people listen? Was it more attentive? Yeah. Oh yeah, they were very serious about yeah, the, the different world. You know, seventies people still embrace music as something beside a soft drink commercial. So anyways, that was part one of our interview with the Colonel. We've got more 
Plenty more in next week's episode. More so, in store. Yep. Please tune in. And what else do we do in the episode? Oh, we do a lot of funny things. Uh, what we didn't get to, though, is expressions on a tired expression, which is something that I was really hoping we'd make it into this episode, but we We're didn't. We're going to string you along on that one. We're going to tease you. You're going to have to wait. Because we got plenty of expressions on plenty of expressions coming. And if you have expressions you're sick of, email them to that address. InsideOutWTNS at gmail.com. And as social media, it's InsideOut at WTNS, which means throw it at A, that little A in a circle in front of it, and you got a, you got a Twitter address. It's as simple as that. I love the world today. It's amazing. So tune in next week. Thanks. Thank you. It's about time The Krokens have arrived It's about time The Krokens have arrived It's about time Charlie Blue gave us a clue. They arrived in Milan with nothing to do. And the French control the air, disguise themselves too. In apparent wealth, they made the veil away. He had the flow And ducks have no echo And the Grogan's nose They told the congregation That one and one is three Release in sight And we're the enemy of pain Get in touch with Charlie Blue He has got All the clues The growings arrive. Don't be a fool. Come back and hide. They took the dope out of dope, and you see, virtue prevails. And they left it like me. I said.
Thank you.